Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Luke 13, verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree. And still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. So who's the worst sinner that you know? Ooh, we all just thought of somebody in particular. But didn't we do that? Immediately in our mind, we went to somebody that we thought was doing really bad stuff, right? If you ask people around the world who's the worst person ever, many of them will go to some great, you know, big leader like Hitler, for all the atrocities and the horrible things that they did. And they would say, that's the best, that's the worst sinner. That's the biggest sinner that ever lived. You see, when it comes to sin, we like to categorize sin as, you know, major sin, medium sin, sort of okay sin. And then that's that sin that everybody commits, the white lights, you know, the little, little things that we all do. And somehow we try to put that in, into that stratosphere of categories and say, well, it's a good thing I'm not up here sinning like those really bad people, right? I'm, I'm just a so-so sinner. I'm an average sinner. I, I'm your run-of-the-mill white lie every now and then and forget to be kind to my neighbor sinner. But the reality is that when it comes to God, there is no degrees of sin. There is not greater sin and lesser sin. There is not medium sin and big sin. It's all sin. It's all bad. It's all stuff that separates us from God. It's all things that God does not like at all. It's not like God goes, okay, I really don't like murder, but lying so-so, okay. No, God says, no, I don't like any of it. All of it is bad. Why do I share with you about sin? Because in our scripture today, we find people in the crowd coming to Jesus to ask him questions and to talk to him, as they always did. And in this case, Jesus had told them in the prior chapter 
that they needed to be aware of the signs of the times, of what was going on, that they could look at clouds and tell the weather, but they couldn't tell the signs of the things that were happening around them in terms of what God was doing in the world. And so the people trying to be clever and trying to show that they did know what was going on, come to Jesus and say to him, you know, were those guys were sinners, the Galileans that, you know, died when Pilate slaughtered them all and their blood was mingled with the sacrifice blood? They, they were definitely bad people because that wouldn't happen to what? To good people, right? Because nothing bad ever happens to good people before God, right? That, that was their assumption. Their assumption was if, if that happened to them, they must have been the worst of sinners. They must have done something terribly wrong for God to allow that to happen. You see, we forget sometimes that we live in a fallen world where people make bad decisions and those decisions can lead to other people's suffering. When we look at the war in Ukraine as a good example, bad people making bad decisions that are affecting the whole world. And so... They come to him and said, do you think, Jesus says to them, do you really think that these Galileans that suffered in this way were worse sinners than the other Galileans that were around, that were spared, that weren't killed during this tragedy? He says, no. I tell you the truth. If you don't repent, you will die like they did. And then he tells them about another tragedy. He says, what about the guy 18 who were killed in the tower of Siloam? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the other people in Jerusalem? He says, no. They were just equally offensive to God in their sin. If you don't repent from your sin, you will perish as they did. Now, we have to understand that in order to talk about current events, you have to know about what's going on during that time. If I talk to you right now about wildfires in California... I wouldn't have to say much more than that, and you would know exactly what I was talking about. Why? It's current events. We know about that. What about things like earthquakes or tsunamis or natural disasters? If I mention one of them and it's been on the news, I don't have to tell you much else. You know what I'm talking about. If I say Katrina, I don't need to get context, right? <laughs> Not you, Katrina. <laughs> but the hurricane, right? I don't have to give context because you know what I'm talking about. And in the time of Jesus, these were well-known events that were documented and happened. These tragedies happened. People knew about how these people lost their lives in the blink of an eye. And it seemed tragic, and people were trying to make sense of it. How many times do we want to know the why of why things happen? All the time. We don't understand what's happening, and we ask why. And when it doesn't make sense to us, we get frustrated because we don't understand why things happen the way they do. Like Tiffany was praying, God's ways are higher than our ways. And we just, we just don't always understand how God uses world events and even natural disasters for his kingdom. But they happen. Life happens and Jesus explains that the only way to make it through those things 
is to repent of our sin and seek the life that only Jesus can bring. She says, you know, the only way to live on is to repent, to seek God and his forgiveness. You know, life is fleeting. We're here one day and gone the next, says the scripture. Our days are like the days of grass, which is here one day and gone the next. But somehow, we tend to live sometimes like we're going to live forever. And think about how many people have come to a realization of their own mortality during COVID. How many people thought, ah, I've got a good 80, 90 years ahead of me. And then COVID hit and they went, maybe I don't. It made us begin to think about our own mortality, which is a theme of Lent. Remember that your dust and to dust you shall return. It's a reminder that our lives are not guaranteed tomorrow and that therefore our time is precious. So what is Jesus trying to get that? He gives them a parable to make his point based on that. He says, a man had this fig tree planted in his vineyard and year after year after year, for three years, he came looking for fruit on it. Three years in a row, he did that. And each year, he found none. None. Doesn't say he found a little. Doesn't say he found signs of a little. He says none. There was no fruit at all on this fig tree. And he turned to the garden and said, cut it down. Why should it be taking up and wasting soil space? I want you to realize you occupy space in this world. You take up room. You are in a place where nobody else is because you're taking up that spot. And you have been planted there by God to bear fruit. And Jesus was saying with this parable, look, you got to bear fruit. He says, if it doesn't bear fruit, cut it down because it's wasting the space. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. There's an expectation by God of fruitfulness in our lives. God expects us to bear fruit. The gardener was, was looking at this tree, three years, no fruit, and he tells the owner of the land, give it one more year. Let me dig around it. Let me put manure. Let me, let me fertilize it. And if in a year's time it hasn't produced you can cut it down. You know, we have a long-suffering God who continues to have patience and mercy and continues to give us time to grow and mature and bear fruit. But there's a limit to that. There's a time in which our time's up. And the thing is, we don't know when that time is. So we can't be waiting until the last minute to bear fruit because the last minute might be yesterday. The last minute might come before we even know it. Life is not guaranteed. We could walk out of here, get in an accident, and we're gone. We never know. 
And so Jesus was saying, you need to bear fruit. You need to continue to do the things that will bring you into the kingdom. And he says, that is repentance. And sometimes things happen in our lives to kind of force us into fruitfulness. And they're not always pleasant. And they're not always good. But sometimes they are what is needed for us to bear fruit. The scripture describes God as one who prunes. We don't like pruning. Nobody likes pruning, right? God taking away. We don't like the God that takes away. We love the God that gives. We don't like the God that takes away. The God that prunes so that we can bear fruit. But also the God who fertilizes and nourishes and gives what we need. In a parsonage I lived in growing up in Puerto Rico, we had an avocado tree in the backyard. And we were in that parsonage for almost 20 years. So we saw this tree go from a twig all the way to being a full-fledged tree. And I'll tell you something. When this thing got about three years old, it put out the most beautiful avocados. I mean, these things were not the, not the little things they call avocados around here. Not those little things. I'm talking about the big avocados with great flavor. And I remember that this thing produced like clockwork every year. Every year it produced like clockwork until about 10, 11 years into its life. It began to produce every other year. It'd skip a year. You'd be like, where's the avocados? No avocados this year. What happened? Oh, we blamed the storms, we blamed the bad weather. And then one year, it went two years in a row and it quit. It was like it said, I'm tired, not producing any more avocados for you, sorry. I've done all my producing. You ever heard that from Christians? Oh, I've done all the work in the church, I'm done. No, this avocado tree has been there for all these years and it was supposed to bear fruit and it wasn't bearing fruit. And my dad was ready to cut it down. He was ready. He was like, where do we find the saw? Let's cut it down. And my mom played the role of the gardener. No, 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 we can't cut that down. Give it another year. In fact, I heard that if you take a rusty nail and you nail it to the bark, it'll produce fruit. I don't know if that's true or not. What I do know is that my mom made me go into the toolbox that we had at home and get the biggest, rustiest nail I could find. You know, the one that you say, I'm never going to use this thing? It was about that long. I mean, it was a huge nail, and it was completely rusted because it had probably been there since it was created because nobody ever uses a nail that big. And I took a hammer, and she made me nail that thing to the middle of the bark where the bark spread into two branches. She just made me nail that thing halfway in. And I remember feeling like the silliest kid. What in the world am I doing? I am here nailing this into the tree. And I remember thinking, my mom's lost it. She went out there, she fertilized that tree, and... I nailed it, and the next year, 
Guess what? The tree produced so many avocados that the tree hung over the, the roof and you could go to the roof and just pick the avocados off the roof because they had brought the branches all the way down onto the roof. That tree got the message somehow that this time it's a nail, but next time it might be an ax. It got the message that you need to produce like you have in the past because there's no quitting to fruitfulness. It got the message that something needs to change or things are going to get worse. And I got to tell you, it produced avocados every year after that. It never quit again. It didn't want no more nails, I guess. But the moral of the story is it became fruitful. Something had to happen externally that made it produce Something had to happen externally that helped it to grow. It was fertilized. It was stunted into growth by that nail going into its bark. It had a change come from the outside that changed the inside. And this is what Jesus was talking about with repentance. This is how repentance works. We, we tell God we are sorry, but that's not enough. We tell God that we don't want to do it again, but that's not enough. We need Jesus to come inside and change us from the inside out. And that transformation that happens because of God fertilizing our soul is what actually transforms us into fruitful people. You know, I began asking you who the worst sinner you knew was, and I told you we all thought about somebody. Because the reason is, we do comparative holiness. We basically say, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? I mean, I'm bad, but I'm not Putin. Or I'm mad, but I'm not Hitler. Or I'm bad, but I'm not whoever. Fill in the blank, whoever you want. Pick somebody. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But here's the thing that Jesus was reminding them of. You're not here to compare yourself to anyone else. You're here to compare yourself only to the holiness and perfectness of God. And it was only expressed in one, Jesus Christ. No one else. And when we all compare ourselves to Jesus, we all fall short. Every single one of us fall short. And that shows us our need for grace and repentance. The word in Greek for leave it for another year in this scripture is oppress. And it's the word, that same word that is used for forgiveness. The gardener was saying, forgive it, it's unfruitfulness and give it a chance to bear fruit. You know, that's what God does with us. The scripture says that when he forgives our sins, he casts them as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. But do you know who remembers them? Us. 
We are sometimes our worst enemies to become fruitful because we don't let go of our past to move into the future that God is laying out for us. How many times do we need to be forgiven before we accept the forgiveness that God has given us? I'm sure that when Jesus shared these words with the people there, it really confused them. They were used to a God who punishes the wicked and rewards the, 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 the faithful. He, he punishes the, the ones that are evildoers, and he, he blesses and provides for the ones that are believers. But the reality is that bad things do happen to good people. And that punishment is not reserved for the wicked in this life. But when we have hope in Christ and we have repented of our sins, nothing that happens in this life can separate us from the great love of Christ that we have known. That is the good news of the gospel. Eventually, time will run out for all of us in this life. I have news for you. We will all die in this life. The only question is, will you die for eternity or will you live for eternity with Christ? Jesus didn't want people looking at other people's sins to compare themselves. When we come to this cross, you don't come to nail your neighbor's sins to the cross. You come to present your own in repentance, seeking God's help so that you can be fruitful for his kingdom. And don't be fooled. God's fruitfulness does not look like the success that the world makes it look like. God's fruitfulness is not about having plenty and being rich. It's not about never having trouble. It's not about never having issues in life. God's fruitfulness is about living, following the example of Christ every single day of your life so that others will know Jesus as their personal Savior. And so that when this life is over, you can join him in eternity. That's fruitfulness for a Christian. I pray that we are willing to let God dig around us, fertilize us, and nourish us. Because you know what? That's how we become fruitful. By receiving God's love so we can love. By receiving God's blessing so we can bless. And by continuing to let God be the source of everything in our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you because it challenges us, Lord, to not look at things that happen in this world and let them define how we interpret you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us to repent of our sins, whatever they may be, that we will seek you, O oh Lord, every single day, and we will seek to live our lives bearing fruits for your kingdom. 
On this day, O oh Lord, if there's anything that needs pruning, we ask you to do the pruning. If there's anything that needs to be removed or added from our lives, we ask, O oh Lord, that you be the gardener that does that work. Lord, we know we can't do it alone. And so we just ask for your mercy and your grace so that we can bear fruit worthy of our repentance. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar is going to be open. If there's anything at all that you want God to just release you from, that you want to repent of, that you want to just lay at the cross, this is a good time to do it. If you want to come up to the cross and nail something, come do it. Don't leave with it today. Leave it at the cross of Jesus. Let us worship.